0: Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. Yesterday, I had an episode with Davis Matic breaking down the NFFC playoff contest that they've got going on. Today, going to be covering my favorite playoff contest, which is the FFPC Playoff Challenge, and I've got Jack Miller here with me to do that. Before diving in, though, Make sure you know that this podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, and if you use promo code ETR over there, you can get a deposit match bonus up to a hundred dollars. They have their own version of playoff contests going on with their best ball formats. Um, the Gauntlet twenty five dollar entry fee has a big grand pot, big grand prize. They also have mid and five dollar contests too. So make sure to check that out. Use promo code ETR. Also, I've been having some audio issues lately, so uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you notice it, you know you can make a note on Twitter at two hats, one Mike, and I'll see if I can get sorted out. Hopefully it's pretty clean for you guys today, but yeah, I've got Jack on here. And if you're watching on the established run YouTube channel, I've got an article up that Jack has put together, which will be published by the time you're seeing this. And we kind of tasked Jack with writing an article about attacking the FFPC playoff challenge and got him some data to work with. Jack has not played the contest before, so it's interesting to see him taking that data and trying to figure out the best way to play it. I have more bias than Jack because i played this contest quite a bit pretty heavily. I play this with the ship chasing guys, Peter Overset, Pat Crane, and Ben Gretsch every year, and we're attacking it pretty hard again this year. So Some different perspectives, but if you're new to the FFPC Playoff Challenge, you're starting... With a roster of one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, four flex spots, one DST, one kicker. So you're going to have 12 spots, but there's obviously 14 teams in the playoffs. So two teams you won't take a player from. You can only take one player per team, Jack. Uh, So why don't you also break down some of the scoring tendencies that are a little unique to FFPC?
1: Yeah, so it's standard FFPC. FFPC scoring, which means it's PPR, but it's tight end premium, meaning you get 1.5 point per reception for tight ends versus just one point per reception for running backs and wide receivers. Quarterbacks score one point for every 20 yards passing instead of 25, which is kind of industry standard. It is four points per passing touchdown, and then for defenses, it is one point per sack, two points per turnover. You get 12 points for a shutout, eight for allowing six or fewer points, uh, and five for allowing seven to ten points. Kickers get three points for every field goal under 30 yards and then point one extra uh points for every additional yard thereafter.
0: Yeah. And you know the the big keys there, the tight end premium scoring, of course, makes that tight end spot pretty important. Also makes some of these guys flex viable that, you know, no, you know, wouldn't be in a contest of this nature if it wasn't tight end premium. And the DST scoring is really random. Uh, you know, there's not many games where an offense is scoring 10 points or less, which means all the DST scoring is coming from events, sacks, turnovers, uh, touchdowns of that nature. So it's, it's a trippy contest. Part of the reason why I love it so much, Jack, is it, it seems so incredibly simple, like anyone can make a team off the start. But then as you dive in, it gets a little more complex and you know, an example of this is if Kansas City goes to the Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes is the highest scoring Kansas City Chief, it kind of seems obvious he would be the quarterback that you need. But it's two things kind of need to happen for a play to be the right play. How much they outperform other players at their position and how much they outperform other players on their team. So if the gap between Patrick Mahomes and you know, Josh Allen is less than the gap between Travis Kelsey and the second highest scoring tight end, you know, Kelsey could end up being the optimal Kansas city chief that you need to use, even though Patrick Mahomes outscores him, you know, there's things like that. Or if Josh Allen outscores, you know, his teammate by more than Patrick Mahomes outscores his teammate, there's, there's different iterations like that, that you need to think through. Um, so you can start to see where it gets challenging. I do like to kind of zoom out and sort of think of a bracket and work backwards when making teams there's certainly some players that will fit any bracket but i'm figuring out which teams you're going to fade and and also figuring out like if this team goes to super bowl who's the most likely player you know all that stuff's pretty important
1: right yeah like you said um we have that that aspect from kind of traditional season-long fantasy football where we're thinking about players compared to how they do versus other players at their position And that value over replacement, but we also have to think about if Mahomes goes off in the playoffs, but he's throwing all his touchdowns to Travis Kelsey, then it's probably not optimal to have Mahomes,
0: even if he's scoring a ton of points because you're only allowed one player per team. Yeah. And one other scoring wrinkle I forgot to mention, but that Super Bowl game is worth double points. Uh, So there's a little bit added variance there. It also helps the bye week teams a little bit. You know, encouraging you to take you know those teams that are likely to get to the Super Bowl and figure that out. Um, Man, there's so much to this contest. Trying to think about where to start, but in general, what I've noticed playing these contests historically, Jack, is that the field makes two mistakes. You know, one mistake they make is overconfidence, and this overconfidence can extend both to the you know playing too much of the top performer on a team or assuming a certain bracket and you did a really good job breaking this down um last year we had Devonte adams at 77 percent. he got outscored by aaron jones who i think was like 10 percent. do i have I think, that right he was i think he was like seven percent seven percent so like Devonte adams was 10x aaron jones so there that's an example of both types of overconfidence in one where The Devonte Adams over Aaron Jones is one type of overconfidence, but then Green Bay losing one and done is the second type. Obviously, if they go on a Super Bowl run, Adams is probably going to come back and clip Aaron Jones. But in a single game, and those ten points, I remember last year, like it was a really big deal. You know, there's certain things you can survive that are random because they're low owned, but there's some things in this contest where if you don't get them quite right, you're almost drawing dead. So that was a really big leverage one. I know two years ago. And you highlighted this one, but Cam Akers, um, I know you mentioned the Cam, yeah, Cam Akers was like the focal point of the Rams offense, but everyone just assumed that they would lose. And this is where, again, if you think about a bracket, um, if the, the field's overconfident that the Rams are going to lose, even though they're more likely to lose than not, you think, okay, well, what if the Rams win? Obviously it's through Cam Akers in the ground game. Um, and he ended up being... 10%. The Rams defense was 43%. We kind of call that a soft fade if they're on if you take the kicker defense and then a full fade would be taking no one. So generally these big underdogs you kind of see are either full fades or soft fades early, but yeah, that type of overconfidence Jack, there's been other ones, you know, AJ Brown versus Derrick Henry a couple of years ago or maybe maybe even each of the last 2 years. Um mm-hmm. there's there's just been too much of a contrast in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting because that with that Acres example you mentioned, only eighty five point five percent of teams had a Rams player at all, which means over fourteen percent were fading them completely. And of those, uh, of that eighty five point five percent, about two thirds of them were either the Rams defense or Mac Gay, so the soft fade we talked about with the defense or kicker. So only twenty five percent of the field had a Rams skill player, and ten percent had Acres, like we said. Um, and all that, despite the fact that they were only three point underdogs, and that, that's <laughs> that's not an unbelievable outcome for a three point underdog to win. And so, while it was most likely the outcome for the Rams to lose in the first round, it, it really seemed like a lot of people were overconfident in that singular game outcome. And so, if you had Acres and Wink Contrarian there, um, that was a lot of leverage for you,
0: yeah. And then the other mistake I think the field makes is they just They play too chalky overall, and then they'll throw in kind of some of the plays that you really have to thread the needle for them to work out, you know, third, fourth wide receivers. And, you know, it kind of worked out in a specific example last year where Gabe Davis went nuts, but I don't even think you necessarily needed him to win because he was so low owned and the risk was so high where coming into the playoffs last year, keep in mind, like Gabe Davis was competing with Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. We didn't even know if he was wide receiver three or four you know this year he's he's a decent play as leverage but um people get kind of cute to me the Bengals, there's some really good examples this year of both types of mistakes where the field's probably going to play too much jamar chase and you can get pretty good leverage not galaxy Braining and playing t higgins um there or you can but but you don't want to i think go so crazy jack where like you're playing tyler boyd who like Yes, he could be the highest scoring Bengal in a loss in a single game, but he, like it just seems like you really need that to end up being 100 percent optimal. And then even if it is, you could survive it because it's gonna be so low owned. And I don't like to throw away teams. I guess on those types of players, like I want a potential to hit like a really big win in leverage, or I want to want to eat the chalk. Like I don't really kind of want to get off the chalk for something that like you know Tyler Boyd outscores the rest of the Bengals by like five points or something
1: yeah and on that Gabe Davis example uh he wasn't even on most of the highest scoring teams last year the, the Bills representative was Josh Allen among the top teams and I agree with everything you just said about not getting too cute going back to the Adams versus Aaron Jones example it, the people who took Jones there definitely ran a bit hot there with the Packers losing their first game but it wouldn't have been that unrealistic for Jones to outscore Adams over a a two or three game stretch, it's not the most likely outcome, but it's certainly possible. And the point I guess is that the, the difference in that likelihood is not enough to justify Adams being 11 times more owned. Whereas someone like Alan Lazard, maybe who, who is just clearly a tertiary option and not overly involved in the offense um, probably would have been getting too cute because you might as well just go up to Jones. If you're, if you're trying to take a low end Packer.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's another really good example. And to your point about like Jones possibly outscoring Adams over like the three game stretch, like if they go to the Super Bowl too, you get that two X Super Bowl leverage where like Adams could outscore Jones for two straight games and then Jones outscores him by 10 in the Super Bowl. That's really worth 20 points because you're getting two X points there in the Super Bowl. So there, there's more leverage to be had there. Um, and you brought up Josh Allen with the Gabe Davis stuff. There are it does make sense, to like work through a bracket, I think. But something, you know, I, I spent a lot of time last year was like seeing like who would be the best play like in different scenarios. And sometimes there are guys that the way they score relative to their team and whatnot can win in in multiple scenarios. And Allen was two games and done. You know, Buffalo lost that game to Kansas City, but he's such a high scorer. He's not like you know if you get like a game script depending running back and they lose not only are you not getting extra games, but they've probably performed poorly. Someone like Allen, you get him in a shootout, um, he's going to have such a big percentage of his team's points. He can get there in two games and done. You know, this year could be a similar example where if the skill players pop from Cincinnati and Kansas City, you know, Allen might again this year almost be undervalued because of his ability to get into optimal lineups as long as the Bills make it at least out of round one. And then it's kind of like, whether they play two, three, or four games, he could still be in there. Exactly, yeah. I, I agree
1: with everything you just said.
0: Um, Figuring out which teams to fade. And you looked at at some of the field ownership as far as fades and whatnot, what for the top 50, top 100. Were you able to parse anything from that as far as like field overconfidence or anything it, of that nature? It basically
1: seems like you... What The most important thing I kind of gained was, it's kind of self-intuitive, but you basically do have to get your fades right. If you look at the top 50 or top 100 or whatever, top X teams versus the field, uh, they all had better percentages of fading the teams that went out early than the field. And so if if you fade a team and they end up going far, it's, it's really bad news for your team. So just focusing on getting those right while at the same time not being overconfident in an outcome like we talked about is pretty critical.
0: Yeah, I know last year, you know, I had a team that almost survived like a soft fade on San Francisco with Robbie Gould, but they won that second game and got in, you know, like I could have maybe survived two games, couldn't, couldn't survive three games of it. So it's possible you get one of the fades, one of the soft fades a little bit wrong. The full fades, you got to get right, but soft fades, you could run lucky on DST kicker. but you know, um, ultimately you could survive one game. You can't survive two, two, two W's though. And then they get into three, three to four plus games. I'm looking at the bracket this year, Jack, trying to figure out market overconfidence on the bracket. And it is a little bit tough because we've got a few big spreads this weekend. You know, the bills are double digit favorites. Bengals six and a half San Francisco, nine and a half. Uh, San Francisco you're going to have CMC I think as incredible chalk it strikes me as Really good chalk so again you don't have to get Galaxy brain everywhere you just want to mix And match the You know one that seems like pretty interesting Is Minnesota versus the Giants at minus Three That one I'm worried though that it won't be like Cam Akers just because Barkley is such a clear play That people play kind of like Barkley Jefferson And they're just going to kind of take whoever Wins in that game but anything Stick out to you as far as some of the teams that are more likely to lose round one, are there players on those teams that you like more than you anticipate the field liking? I think Jaguars might be
1: a little bit interesting because it seems like um, from everything I've seen on on Twitter and in best ball playoff um, formats and all that stuff, that the the Chargers are being valued a lot higher than the Jaguars. And part of that is just that they have better skill position players like Eckler mm-hmm. over ETN and then Keenan Allen and Big Mike, over the Jags receivers. Um, but I, I do think with the spread so close right now, it's it's kind of varied, actually. You can find pick on some sites, and then it's out to two and a half some places. But regardless, it seems pretty likely to close at a field goal or less in favor of the Chargers. And so I think that maybe the Chargers could be a little bit of an interesting spot to fade if the market is overconfident in them winning their first game.
0: Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I also see Jacksonville, you know, I think people in these contests tend to gravitate to the the comfy running back click. And a lot of times this kind of reminds me of even season long where the running back, you know, because of, uh, you know, a projectable workload will be in there, but the running backs have a little bit more downside in terms of if they lose, there's game script concerns. Like that's not true for guys that catch passes like Eckler and CMC a lot, but someone like Etienne, who hasn't been overly involved in the pass game this year, if they get behind and they lose, like he could be played too much relative to pass catching teammates or or the fade there. Um, so that's that's something to keep in mind as well. And you had looked at the optimal use of flex spots, and we only had one year of data on this, and it was last year. So obviously some specific stuff happened last year where the teams with stud running backs like really didn't go far. Um And that was reflected in that all teams averaged about two and a half running backs per roster, but the top 50 and top 100 teams were more like 2.2. And they played more receivers. And they also played more receivers than tight ends. And again, I think tight ends because of the... And I made this mistake last year a lot too. Like I probably had Gronk too far ahead of Mike Evans last year. Because if you're looking at pure projection, it's hard to get Evans near Gronk when you've got similar target shares and one guy's getting one and a half PPR but you just throw in a couple big plays or the touchdowns shift a certain way. And in all that kind of chaos benefits the wide receiver position.
1: Right. And I want to emphasize again, just with only one year of data, I think it's interesting to look at this. It's maybe on the fringe of being actionable, but it's such a small (laughs) sample size that it's hard to say anything definitive. But I do think the, the idea of using more wide receivers in the field makes sense because we know they have, a wider weekly range of outcomes, which in a, a contest like this with a top heavy payout structure where we're we're going for first place, um, it makes sense to lean into that variance and and hope you run good, but uh, the data I think is a little bit tough to trust, but I think it is kind of something you
0: could logically just think through yeah, definitely some confirmation bias on my part where that data lines up sort of how I feel about the position anyways, but yeah, you gotta take that with a grain of salt. Like, if if we get runs from, I, I don't I don't have the exact bracket in front of me, but like I don't know if Giants and and San Fran would play each other. But you can see this year, where like Eckler, CMC, Barkley, uh, on those teams, you could end up with a little bit more running back um, love and and success than we have had in past years. I think there's less at tight end this year too than last year. There were a ton of options at tight end, so the field might naturally play less tight ends. Than they did last year anyways we had a lot of a lot of different guys to play at tight end so jack has this article it's going to be up you can check out the full thing he's also going to add in kind of on each play like on each team like what's the optimal play and then what's the, the best leverage play are there any teams that you feel like either pretty confident on the optimal play or what what's going to be good leverage based on the field or just like you know, you got any flag plans for us, Jack? Or...
1: You mentioned it earlier, but I do think Christian McCaffrey is going to end up as good chalk because he's clearly the focal point of that offense. He's had a massive target share since he came to San Francisco. And while Eli Mitchell is back, I still think he's going to get the majority of the carries in the playoffs. And then San Francisco is actually favored over the Eagles right now to come out of the NFC. And they have that extra game to. Uh, build points in the wild card round, whereas Philly is a game down, which would be partly mitigated by the fact that they have a buy and they're more likely to get to the Super Bowl. But the betting markets think that the Niners are more likely to get to the Super Bowl. Um, so I think, I think Christian McCaffrey, um, kind of a lame flag plant, kind of an easy way out, but uh, I I do think he's he's pretty good in this format.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I'm almost hopeful that the tight end premium scoring and Kittle's recent success maybe makes him like. I don't know, 70% instead of like maybe the 90% that Cooper Cup was last year. It's hard like you could get Debo or Ayuk for like absolutely nothing, but those those are plays where the way the 49ers are right now that like are bordering on too cute where like I don't even know. Just cuz CMC gets there in any script, you know, it's different for for a more game script dependent back. The one way to like kind of middle it is to take a Seattle skill player where I think they'll be faded a lot and you could maybe free roll a win there. You know, if, if you get the win, it's a huge edge, right? Like if Seattle pulls off the upset and you've got the Seattle skill player, it's a huge edge, but they could also just have one really good game and lose. And, and I think they will be full faded a, a decent bit with this spread and with the San Francisco defense. So that's one that I'm considering where you've got some optionality. If you just pair it with a chalk in CMC, the, one play I'm somewhat considering too is like the Dolphins here. Uh, there's some quarterback uncertainty right now between whether it's going to be Skyler, Teddy, or Tua, unless I miss news on that. We're recording this Tuesday morning. I think it's somewhat up in the air. The spread certainly seems to indicate it's not going to be Tua. In my opinion, it's been holding pretty steady around ten and a half. Um, but Tyreek Hill, you know, he bang- he got banged up. In week 18 with the ankle, that's going to scare people away. The spread in this game is going to scare people away. The low team total, but that's someone that can go nuclear in one game. And if the Dolphins do happen to pull an upset, um, it's going to be huge. You probably don't want to play him with an Allen team because I think as good as Allen is, I think you need at least one win for him to probably get in there at quarterback because quarterbacks score so many points. But yeah, I I like Tyreek as sort of like an out there uh, play. Like those are the type of plays I like to make. Like it's an absolute stud. You know, you're not making a reach on the talent of the player or anything, but the ownership I suspect is sub 15% on a guy like that. I don't know. I'm kind of guessing there.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It, It is tough not knowing or having projections for the ownership. But I think using the past data that we have in this article, you can kind of figure out how the the top guys are and the top guys on each team are
0: going to be. Yeah. All right, Jack, anything else you want to know about the contest before we get out of here or any, any takes that you want to get off your chest? I think, I think we mostly covered it all. Cool. Yeah, I think so too. So make sure to be on the lookout for uh, Jack's article. Also, I do want to note we have uh, the, I'm pulling up on the screen here. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, we have projected points and expected games. We didn't go through expected games much, Jack, because in a contest like this, you can use it a little bit to sort of, you know, figure out who the best player on a team might be, but the way it's constructed, like you are kind of playing a bracket, you're, you're forced to a player per team. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's nice to see the per game projections that we have as well. And that'll kind of help you, shift things around as you think through different brackets and i would mentally kind of uptick guys some points per game if you're playing them to win round one and mentally down tick some guys some points per game if you're expecting them to lose especially relative to the, to the base odds so check that out if you're established the run subscriber thanks so much for tuning in everybody great review us on itunes good a chance helps out a ton best of luck this playoffs